Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe, and on today's episode, we're discussing Spider-Man No Way Home and the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So if you're one of the four people that have not seen Spider-Man <laughs> at this point, you may want to skip this episode, because uh, we will be discussing spoilers about the movie and how it impacts the MCU and how you know some of the other shows like Hawkeye and things have impacted the MCU and where we think things might be going from here. But before we get into that, I want to touch on the Disney news of the week. So Disney announced pretty big news. Parades coming back to the Magic Kingdom. So the Festival of Fantasy Parade will be returning March 9th. And this includes uh, Maleficent and her dragon form and all. So the Woo! full Festival of Fantasy Parade will be back uh, beginning of March. So that's pretty excited. This is our first kind of full parade coming back uh, stateside, at least here to Disney. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, I think we called this whenever Paris was was um, bringing it back and we said it's coming to the, the Magic Kingdom. So, you know, I think that that's being us being really good fortune tellers, not just, you know, using logic. Yeah, well, I will say this. So that's a good segue into the next one, because the next kind of topic is Disneyland Paris's <laughs> 30th anniversary celebration stuff. And so if Disneyland Paris is the precursor for things coming stateside, uh, that I'm excited because I hope this comes stateside. So they announced that they're doing a drone show over there. So as part of the 30th anniversary, which kicks off March 6th uh, over at Disneyland Paris, they are doing a it's a pre-show to their nighttime fireworks at the castle. It's uh, 200 drones and it's called Disney Delight. And so it's going to use drones and lighting, special effects as kind of a pre-show uh, for their full kind of nighttime fireworks show. They, they put out some concept video of them like working on this. The one kind of picture that, that they had shown was the drones making the number 30 over the castle um, to mark the 30th anniversary. So that looks pretty cool. But yeah, hopefully this is then something that Disney could eventually bring to the U.S. is having drones. There's been rumors, like a ton of rumors always about Disney uh, coming, you know, bringing drones to the U.S. But yeah, Disneyland Paris is getting it. Yeah, this is something I would have maybe expected more for the 50th over at Disney World. Um, you know, this is, I think, kind of what people were expecting out of Enchantment is something that was going to awe us and give us you know, something added and extra um, versus kind of what we got. Yeah, and I will say, you know, with with drones uh, in the U.S. versus over in Europe, there's different regulations right. around that. And I think that's kind of the bigger issue uh, with Disney trying to bring drones uh, over here in America is just uh, FAA regulations and, and issues around uh, that not really being able to use drones kind of in their full capacity like they'd like to. You know, they did have a brief drone show at Disney Springs a few years back, but nothing significant. So this is kind of the first significant times Disney's using them. I'm excited because we're planning to go to Disneyland Paris this summer. Whoop, whoop. So I'm excited that um, we picked a good time to go because they're going to have this drone show. Uh, they also debuted new iridescent costumes. So they're sticking with the iridescent color theme over there. Mickey has like a top hat and a cape. His costume looks incredible. Yeah, I mean, his costume and Minnie's costume look amazing. I think she also has like a top hat kind of thing going on. And they're both really nice, um, even more iridescent than the ones over here stateside. So I am very excited to get to see them. Yeah, and there's also going to be a new daytime show in front of the castle called Dream and Shine Brighter. So they have a lot going on uh, over at Disneyland Paris. Plus, the Avengers Campus is going to be opening over there sometime this summer. They've not announced an opening date on that, but they have a lot going on over there for the 30th anniversary. So definitely excited to go. All right, and then the last thing is that 
rumor has it that we are getting a live action Aristocats. So that the Aristocats is going to be the next uh, movie up here for Disney live action for didn't, them to convert. Didn't we already get that? Cats, right? No. <laughs> no, the Aristocats. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this ends up as like a, a Disney Plus only, kind of like Lady and the Tramp did, because they're saying it's going to be like a similar style to that where the animal uh, characters are you know CGI and it's just the the human characters that are live action so kind of that blend similar to Lady and the Tramp um, but yeah so just that's I guess the next movie up on the list you know Disney just they're kind of just checking them off as they go along here so eventually they'll they'll remake all of them into live action so it'll be interesting to see uh, this one moved into live action because there's definitely some problematic elements uh, yes. In the original, so can definitely uh, kind of work through that and, and give it a nice update for the current generation. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into our main topic this week. So we're going to kick it off here talking about you know, Spider-Man No Way Home because it has a lot of implications, at least I feel like it does, for the greater uh, MCU going forward and kind of coming out of that movie. And again, if you've not seen it, this is your final spoiler warning. So I'll give you a second here if you need to pause it. All right, so but going into it, so it definitely has a lot of implications with the multiverse, having multiple Spider-Men, and kind of coming out of that, there's a lot of threads that they kind of laid that I really think are going to impact future Disney Plus shows, future movies, and kind of the larger MCU as a whole, even potentially more so than you realize just seeing the movie. But just kind of starting out, quick thoughts on the movie, because as we've talked about uh few times on the show. It's doing incredibly well at the box office. It is an incredibly uh, well-done movie, though. I think you know having the multiple Spider-Men in there, kind of tying in three different Spider-Men franchises all in one film, uh, you know, it could have not turned out well, you know, the people not getting enough screen time or, or things like that, but it definitely had, uh, you know, good, it was emotionally grounded uh, and it definitely tied up all of the storylines really well. So I thought it was really well done, Angela. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of tips back to the old Spider-Man movies, a lot of ones that I'm sure that I didn't catch because it's been so long since I've seen those movies, but it was just a kind of, to me, it was a love letter to Spider-Man and through all the you know generations, I mean, what, the first Tobey Maguire movie was early 2000s and now it's 20 years later and now we're bringing that back and kind of revitalizing and breathing new air and uh, life into it. So I think that it is, it was a lot of fun and I think they did it really well where it could have fallen apart in many ways. Yeah, they actually said that now Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe are actually the longest uh, running superhero actors. So I think that was Hugh Jackman originally because he had played Wolverine for so long, but it's been uh, almost 20 years between them reprising their roles in the Spider-Man movie. So they are now like the longest uh, running actors in a movie between the first Spider-Man and then Spider-Man No Way Home. I got to say, you know, I think this just goes to show um, Marvel does really well with portal scenes. All their best scenes have portals in it. So Endgame, the portal scenes was great. And then they start bringing portals back again. Uh, this and this is where we get the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Uh, and everybody loved that scene, you know, in the theater. So I think anytime now we see Doctor Strange making a portal, you got to get excited because you don't know who's going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I could see like Kirby coming out or something or this completely ridiculous and off the cuff that you would never expect. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing that's interesting about this movie is you know, there's, there's been all these rumors that, you know, who knows how long the Sony and Marvel deal will last that, 
you know, there's maybe going to be more movies, maybe there's not going to be, but I think the interesting thing here is how they ended it where it's a good ending that if Tom Holland, you know, can't be Spider-Man any Spider-Man anymore that Marvel and Sony can't agree to make more movies and keep him in the MCU. It's very easy for them to write him out because Doctor Strange's spell made everybody forget about Peter Parker, and yeah. so now he's kind of alone and nobody knows him. So it's really easy for him to not be involved anymore, but it's also very easy if they continue to make him as part of the MCU that you know, he can still be Spider-Man. People can maybe Doctor Strange ends up remembering him or maybe there's some other people that, you know, he meets again and he gets back in with the Avengers. So they kind of made it a clean slate that they can really go anywhere from here if they needed to. So I thought that was kind of like an interesting, you know, path that they took with that. So going into what I think this movie sets up, and I think there's going to be a lot more ramifications from this movie than even we realize, especially around the multiverse. And I think how it ties into Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness, because, you know, the fact that they, you know, quote unquote, fix the villains before sending them back. What we've learned from Endgame is, you know, you can't change the past you can't change things doing so creates branch realities and we kind of saw that in loki mm -hmm. and the whole tva you know their job was to step in and clip and, those yeah clip those off because of loki i think spider-man no way home was possible because there wouldn't have been alternate spider-man if the tva was still around right so the ending of loki kind of leads into that but that also i think is just going to lead into dr strange because the fact that he kind of tampered with the multiverse he didn't send the villains back to the exact point in time as they were to kind of fulfill their destiny in their universe. Now they're fixed. That could have changed things. It's going to create now branch realities. So, you know, I don't think Electro and, and Lizard and everything, I don't think they're going back to the reality they came from because again, it's, it's different. So I think it created a lot of branch realities. And I think that's going to be some of the ramifications that Dr. Strange is going to have to deal with that the multiverse is now expanding and cracking due in part to what he did and his actions in Spider-Man because he wanted to help Peter, you know, he kind of felt bad for him and he kind of went along with his plan of trying to help out all of these villains versus just sending them back to their fates and yeah, kind of keeping the timelines in order. So I think that is is a huge thing that's going to happen. You know, we already know uh, Kang the Conqueror uh, is going to be in a lot of these movies. He's supposed to be the next Ant Man, and he deals with the multiverse, so we know he's going to play a big role as well. So perhaps he could be in the next, you know, Doctor Strange. I think this is really what starts the chain of events that kind of leads to the multiverse really expanding rapidly. Yeah, I mean, I think you you come up with a, a good point there where this really just blows everything wide open. Um, and I think that, you know, we can thank Ray Bradbury a little bit for the story, the short story, A Sound of Thunder, which is where the, uh, you know, also I think where the idea for uh, the butterfly effect came from as well. Um, but basically, if you haven't read that short story, go and read it. It's a fantastic short story. Again, it's short and it has a really good twist ending. But basically everything changes because as a result of just one little tiny change and these are huge changes so all of these places that these characters are going to be sent back to these um the spider-man and everything they're going to be so vastly different or they should be that anything is possible at this point and also i am really interested to see what happens with dr strange because i mean you just get the idea that what he did was so 
wrong and he shouldn't have done it. And it is to me almost seems a little out of character. I think it was a little, I mean, it got out of his control for sure. The spell you mean to to make people forget everything. Right. And I understand, you know, when you have somebody like Peter and I think that if anybody's going to make anybody do something like that, it's going to be Peter because he's so heartfelt and sweet. But I mean, it just completely is going to tear apart the fabric of reality, literally with, you know, what, what he did. And, And I think that, you know, somebody as, knowledgeable as dr strange sort of knew that was coming but did it anyway which just to me seems really negligent yeah and and it it definitely was kind of a softening of his character i mean definitely in dr strange in earlier movies was a much more stern and serious character he was a doctor he definitely you know went by logic and kind of played by the book whereas yeah, you could see because peter's a kid he kind of he felt sorry for me. It was a little bit easier on him and he gave him a little bit more leeway than to your point, if this would have been like Tony or somebody, you know, like it's almost like he helped him out. He's like, ah, he doesn't know any better. I don't want to ruin this kid's life. He's got, you know, a whole life ahead of him. He doesn't, he didn't ask for any of this to happen to him. Right. He wanted to do something to help him. You know, a lot of people were saying too, if Dr. Strange could just make people forget about anything, why didn't he just make Thanos mm-hmm. forget about the infinity stones? And, you know, I think that's a, a valid point. I I do think with that though, the explanation to it again goes back to the TVA and what we learned about them. Whereas they have been secretly behind the scenes this entire time, at least up until the point of Loki, making sure the sacred timeline stays intact. So maybe there was one instance where Dr. Strange cast a spell and made Thanos forget about the Infinity Stones. But that wasn't part of the sacred timeline. So that became a branch reality that they clipped. And so I think... I'm sure they intentionally did that. They knew that that's what they were doing. Right. Well, I, I, I do think that that is definitely a convenient thing that Marvel can fall back on. But I do think it does make sense in terms of the larger story because there also is you know, some theories out there. And, and I think this makes sense. Again, if you look at it as the events had to happen the way they happened, is that in the Eternals, you know, the whole idea of the Eternals stopping the emergence and saving Earth is driven by Tony Stark's sacrifice and the Avengers' sacrifice to bring everybody back that Thanos snapped away and to defeat Thanos. And that actually is what drove the Eternals to change their mind and to fight back against the emergence. So a lot of people are saying Doctor Strange purposely gave up the Time Stone to lose, knowing that they would win, but then that also Tony's sacrifice would then prevent the destruction of Earth. Because if the Eternals let the emergence happen, everybody on Earth would have died. So he was he was not only thinking about kind of short-term goals, but long-term goals as well. And I think that is... A reasonable kind of theory on that part because again you could see how those actions kind of played into each other but again i think also you have to look at is okay with the tva any other you know kind of deviation from that would have been clipped so i think yeah to your point marvel probably didn't think that much through but it definitely is something they can fall back on that i think makes sense and could help explain it even if it's like oh well that kind of seems like an easy out but logically it does make sense and also another thing i want to add with the multiverse and and kind of marvel leaving like easter eggs and maybe some convenient plot points i I do think and maybe they're not going to purposely do this but i think it would be really interesting and, and really exciting if they did that some of the other movies we're currently seeing don't take place in the 
quote-unquote MCU universe that we're used to. Yeah, you and I have actually talked about this before where we think that Shang-Chi is actually not taking place in our universe. And there were a couple things in that movie that actually kind of tipped the hat towards that being a possible thing. Yeah, Shang-Chi definitely seems out of place in that it supposedly takes place after the blip, after Thanos. But that's really like the first Marvel property after Endgame that really hasn't like directly mentioned Endgame. I mean, even Eternals was mentioning what was happening there, whereas it seems like life went on. Nobody really cared. So that's kind of like one mention where it seems like maybe this is in another universe where the blip didn't happen or something happened a little bit differently. So yeah, Bruce Banner is actually in Shang-Chi, which, you know, if you think back to Endgame, he is Professor Hulk. He's actually successfully merged the two characters. So that kind of undid what happened in Endgame in a weird way. So it does seem like he has to be not the same Hulk. Yeah, it is interesting. You're right that he's Bruce, but his arm is still in a sling, which is how it the Hulk's arm was at the end of Endgame. You know, Abomination is in it, but yet he has a slightly different look to him than he had in the Incredible Hulk movie. So there's a lot of things that are the same, but just slightly off that. Again, it probably does take place in the regular MCU timeline, but it also could very easily not take place. And that could be a card Marvel plays, you know, three or four years down the road where we find out, you know, Shang-Chi is in, uh, you know, a parallel universe to us. The other interesting thing is, you know, with that end credits scene where, where Bruce shows up is they talk about the 10 rings and that, you know, they, they're this advanced technology that they've never seen before. And if you watch the Eternals, the climax of the Eternals, they essentially build rings, their their bracelets that connect their power together to make them more powerful. Now at that point, there's no longer 10 Eternals, so they start with 10 of them, uh, but there's no longer 10 at the end. Spoiler alert. So, <laughs> you know, the 10 rings aren't there, but it could be said that maybe in another universe, they invented those 10 rings sooner uh, and Shang-Chi's father, Wen Wu, found them from the Eternals because he's, you know, a thousand years old. So, Again, there could very easily be a different universe where they're similar items, but they're slightly different. So I think that I think that's one thing. The other thing that kind of struck me when watching Hawkeye was that in the musical that they had there, Ant-Man is at the Battle of New York in the musical, which yeah. in Avengers, he does not appear. He wasn't in the Avengers movies at that point. But what's interesting is in Endgame, Whenever they go back to the Battle of New York, Scott Lang, who's Ant-Man, actually goes back to New York then. Uh, so that's interesting that you know he's in there uh, in Endgame, but not at the original battle. Now, in Hawkeye later, they, they definitely show a plaque where it shows the original Avengers. Ant-Man's name's not listed. Uh, even Hawkeye himself says you know he wasn't there. But I think this could be an instance where Again, you know, Hawkeye, that takes place in the you know the MCU timeline. He knows Scott wasn't there, but Scott was there in another uh, reality. He was there in another timeline in Endgame. And, you know, maybe with the multiverse cracking, people are crossing universes and they're coming in and out of universes. And so there's some people that... The person who wrote the musical could have been yeah, from the other universe. Right. Yeah. He saw Ant-Man there or, you know, there's stories in that universe that Ant-Man was there and spotted. And so now, again, yeah, it's crossing universes. So 
it would be interesting to see if Marvel does anything with this, but I do think it, it is a potential really interesting setup where it could be like, hey, this whole time, these things that seem off that make us question like, well, this doesn't follow continuity. Like Ant-Man was never there. Or, Why aren't they talking about the blip? Shang-Chi doesn't seem to make sense. It, it all turns out, well, it's actually because of the multiverse because there's we're actually in different timelines and the timelines are blending and collapsing over each other. And that's the reason for these things that they're not errors that Marvel just screwed up, that they were you know, purposely placed little Easter eggs to kind of lead you that something isn't quite right here anymore. I mean, it is also very convenient that from now on, any inconsistency, they could be like, oh, multiverse. It's just because of the multiverse. That's why. No, I know. But I mean, it's definitely a very conscious effort for Ant-Man to be in that musical, you know, and so yes. that's not that's not like a continuity error. Like there's a reason he was put in there. And maybe they just wanted Ant-Man to be in there because, you know, hey, maybe Scott Lang was the one that told the uh, director of the musical the story. And so he made him sound like he was a big part of it or something. You know, like it could even be something like that, like as playful as that. But I do think it is a setup where it could be like, hey, if you're really paying attention, you're going to realize things are off, especially as we go forward. And maybe they get, you know, crazier and crazier. And then to the point where, again, we're leading to this whole multiversal war that Ken talked about that um, is when all the, you know, universes kind of collapse on each other. The thing that was most exciting to me, though, about the Spider-Man movie, besides all the other Spider-Men being in it, is the fact that they decided to have Charlie Cox come in and actually play Matt- Matthew Murdoch and be the lawyer for Peter Parker. You know, that made me so excited because he is definitely a fan favorite from Netflix, and I'm excited. He's to a also- really good lawyer, too. He is. He's great at c- catching bricks without even having to see them. Um, and it's exciting to see, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio coming in as Kingpin because he was also a dynamic uh, villain. You know, he was definitely kind of low-key, almost low-key level of people loved him and thought he was a really good villain. Yeah, those were the two of the best characters from the Netflix shows. I think the other one that people probably would want to see is the Punisher. Whether (laughs) his level of violence can survive in the MCU, I'm not sure. And they are bringing in Deadpool. So maybe uh, Deadpool and the Punisher can be in their own universe (laughs) over there. Um, But it is exciting, yeah, that Daredevil uh, and Kingpin are back in from the Netflix series. I do think, you know, having uh, Matt Murdock in there you know, it brings Daredevil in, but I think the other thread that that has is, you know, he mentions that Happy uh, is going to need a really good lawyer because Stark Industries is under investigation. And I think this is going to lead into Armor Wars, which is coming out on Disney Plus because they've already kind of released a synopsis and that's about uh, Rhodey's going to have to deal with the ramifications of Stark tech falling into the wrong hands. And maybe what this is, is it's that Mysterio got his hands on the drones and that now Stark Industries is being investigated. And so that's what's going to kind of lead into Armor Wars here. So maybe we see Matt Murdock uh, show up there again as, as a lawyer. You know, maybe he's Daredevil as well, that that could be part of his, his introduction there. I also think you know the downfall of Stark Industries is another thread for Kang because in the comics, uh, Kang actually buys the old Avengers Tower from Ooh. Tony Stark. And we actually saw that in the empty void space at the end of Loki. It's called Kang Enterprises, but it's spelled with a Q. Q-E-N-G is what he calls it, but that's one of his variants uh, in the comic book. So again, it seems like Stark Industries is kind of unraveling here a bit after Tony's death between you know Armor Wars and maybe 
um, you know, Kang stepping in or, you know, could also be the Fantastic Four because they've had some, uh, you know, history with uh, Avengers Tower as well, which is also interesting because Kang is actually a descendant of Reed Richards, who is uh, Mr. Fantastic. So they're definitely tying a lot into Kang and his backstory because we know we're getting a Fantastic Four movie. Um, we know, you know, Stark Industries Avengers Tower plays a role in that. So it, it definitely seems like, you know, the next phase or two, probably the next, you know, one or two Avengers movies, kind of like how they led up to Thanos, is definitely leading up to this clash with Kang on uh, this multiversal war. One thing I'm very interested to see as they're moving forward is just how they're going to make the story big and small at the same time, because they have so much going on now and so many moving parts that you're going to get to the point where your viewers are going to start getting confused. I mean, I think I'm already kind of getting there where it's just like, holy moly. I mean, all of these tie-ins, um, there are going to be people who are super comic book fans that know every like possible variation of all of the different comic books and how they can kind of like put them together and make unique stories out of that. But, you know, I mean, I think so far they've done a good job of that and I'm sure they'll find a way. But I mean, I think that they do kind of run the danger of making it too complex and complicated that your normal person can't follow it or it's so convoluted it's hard to follow and makes them not as fun yeah i mean you're right and and we talked about this of when you have the multiverse it is going to make it more confusing and marvel also is now trying to deal with like we just said making a fantastic four movie everybody's waiting for the x-men to show up you know that their reintroduction uh you know deadpool has to somehow fit into here uh you know they've now kind of loosely tied in the other you know sony movies with venom and and morbius is you know supposedly going to be tied in that it it is going to be kind of a balancing act i will say it does seem to be uh you know everybody has these kind of grand theories based on the comic books of how complex and crazy it's going to get. But Marvel definitely does seem to keep it simpler and kind of more straightforward, even with Spider-Man. It's like, okay, there's going to be the multiverse. There's going to be multiple Spider-Men, but it's just going to be people we know. It's just going to be, it's pretty basic. Hey, they came because of this spell. We got to send them back. Like it's not too crazy. We don't need to understand there's, you know, 45 different versions of Spider-Man. Like they, they, do keep it somewhat simple uh, and kind of you know easy to to follow. I think where they'll build it out and why they are having these grand plans is with the Disney Plus shows. They have so many of these Disney Plus shows in the works that you know they can cover a lot of topics that you know you couldn't cover in you know if you do three movies a year you can't go through that much plot. But when you have these shows that are more centered on one topic, there are six eight hours, something like that, you can really explain to the viewer what's going on and you can give them some backstory so that you can kind of build some of this stuff out, but it doesn't necessarily distract from just going to see the movies. You know, it it provides maybe some additional backstory that if you don't see it, maybe you need a little explanation going into the movies, but it's not going to be, you know, so thrown off where again, it's, it would be impossible like what they did with Loki to explain the multiverse and Kang and everything going on in a movie. But because they had six or seven hours to do that, they could explain it. And now we all understand what the multiverse is. So now, you know, Spider-Man makes a little bit more sense, which is going to help make Dr. Strange make a little bit more sense and and kind of building on that going forward. The nice thing about this is I think that for me, at least 
I'm going to start really enjoying the Disney Plus shows probably better than I will the movies just because I like the thing that brings me into these this, these movies and it makes me excited is the characters and the character development. And I think that what they showed and kind of a proof of concept for them was Hawkeye. I think that that was probably, you know, the one show. I, I mean, I think people really enjoyed Wander, WandaVision and Loki, but people were very surprised about Hawkeye and how well it developed his character, how well it introduced Haley Steinfeld as the new Hawkeye. And so I think that that's really where the magic sauce is. And I think that going forward, you know, with Moon Knight and the other She-Hulk and all the other shows coming out, I mean, you have this opportunity to really delve deep into these characters and develop them and make them fan favorites and lovable and then they can cross over into the movies but I think they've struggled in the past with some of the the earlier Avengers with screen time and giving each character their due um, so I, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen there yeah and I think with Disney plus they're definitely building up to their own kind of superhero teams that are going to be these like Disney plus superhero teams kind of like what Netflix try to do with the defenders and that crossover because they're already setting up a version of the Young Avengers. I mean, you have uh, Wanda's kids, Tommy and Billy. You have Kate Bishop, like you mentioned, as Hawkeye. We're gonna Kate get Bishop. We're, we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get uh, Miss Marvel uh, as well, Ironheart. So they're kind of building that up. They're also building up this potential Dark Avengers team. You have Yelena. Maybe she's good. Maybe she's bad. You have kind of our alternative Captain America. Uh, from uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So they're building up kind of these potential other teams that, you know, maybe they just become crossovers on Disney Plus. Maybe that eventually rolls into, you know, a Young Avengers movie or a Dark Avengers movie. But it, it is interesting of how, you know, they ha- they've what they've done in, you know, theatrically with the Avengers and the MCU, they're kind of taking the same path of they're doing these individual stories, but you can see the building blocks that if they wanted to, they could easily cross them over and they're using these characters that again in the comic books were their own superhero team. So it will be interesting to see how, you know, that all kind of ties together as well. Yelena is and Kate Bishop. I those two, I just want to see them together. They I need want- like a Thelma and Louise, Cagney and Lacey, like procedural where they just go and they uh, like a buddy cop solving crimes. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just want to see those two just being just best friends and hanging out and frenemies. Kinda, yeah, frenemies. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of button heads, but also you, you got to love Yelena and you got to love and Kate. Kate's pretty fun too. So I think, I think we need to see more of those too. Oh, definitely. I, I think we will. So yeah. So I think there's a, a lot going on. And again, I think there's a lot of building blocks and layers uh, and kind of storylines that Marvel has set up in these movies and these TV shows that you, you can easily miss. You know, you, you may not even realize. And, and maybe Marvel goes down some of these directions. Maybe they don't go down any of these directions at all. I think that's kind of what keeps people coming back to these movies is because the story well is so deep and there are so many potential storylines for them to take that you never know what they're actually going to do. So you kind of keep you on your toes because you're not sure, are they going to go down this path or maybe they're going to take what you know and tweak it a little bit and make it interesting. I think that's what keeps bringing people back. So it's really exciting to see what happens. You know, we have Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness coming out next. We've got a lot of Disney plus shows coming out this year. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years uh, with Marvel and where they take this next phase. 
So I think that wraps up the show for this week. I want to thank everybody again for listening. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps and we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.